Hey there, everybody. Hi, everyone. We're back. We're back. <laughs> I thought the picture was going to be too dark because we're, you know, it's like dark outside and... But no, I guess it's okay. Got I got it on. I have it on full brightness on my end. This is as bright as this little camera can do it. It is. It's true. So, so we hope you all are doing well. Yeah. It's been, you know, wow. I mean, we have we have had a whirlwind the last yeah. fourteen days. So we got home yesterday afternoon. Um, slept. <laughs> so we went. We we went to bed at like nine o'clock last night. And Patty set her alarm for 8.30. I said, well, Patty, you know, if you sleep to 8 o'clock, that's going to be like 11 hours. The alarm woke us up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. We were so tired. Okay. And we're still pretty pretty loopy today. Oh. So anything we say today, if, if we say anything <laughs> terrible or offensive, you have to give me a lot of grace. <laughs> so, Because uh, to us right now, it's 11.02 yeah, it's my, it's, p.m. It's past my bedtime. Yes. And we didn't sleep well on the plane. And no. so anyway, but we had a fabulous trip again. Um, truly, it's... It, no, it's, I don't have any pictures today, but if you come in, if you come to my class on Sunday at 11 o'clock or you tune into my class on Sunday at 11 o'clock via streaming, then it's going to, the class is going to be um, Impressions of Israel 2022. Yes. And I'm, because we went to a place we've never been before at Magdala. And I'm gonna uh, just kind of give you my impressions, having been not been to Israel at all in four years, nice. and not having done a land trip in six years. We'll bring all that and tell you a couple of surprise things that we did on this trip that yes. were really, really great. So anyway, um, that's gonna be on Sunday at eleven o'clock, and then you know I've decided what I'm gonna do the next Sunday. What's that? Well, actually, the next Sunday might be the first Sunday of Advent. I'm not sure. I don't think it is. But I'm going to start Advent in my class. We're going to really dive, do a do a deep dive into the Christmas story, scripturally. I think Very that'll good. be good for us. We haven't done that in a few years, so it, it'll be good. Very so, good. So, anyway. Now, Patty, you brought okay, a couple so, things oh. back. You have to hold it. You have to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing my uh, new little necklace, which says Patty in Hebrew. I did ask our guide. Um, Lior, I had a, a gentleman made this for me and for some of the other ladies that were on the trip, we bought them. Um, but I made sure from Lior that it it really did say Patty. I was <laughs> like, I had it backwards the first time since, I'll be honest, it doesn't look much different to me. But Lior was going, Patty? I don't think it says Patty. And then he flipped it over and of course it was. Um, so that was, that, that was really good. I wanted to make sure it didn't say something that it shouldn't have said, you yes. know. But um, well, I guess that could be bad. Yes. And what else? What else did you bring oh, back? I You're wearing on, some more. Oh yeah, I have on back. a little pair of my um, um, Roman glass uh -huh. earrings, and that's from the shards when they dug, dig up different things in in Israel. They have these little glass shards that they call. Roman glass and it's. I all think it's from, all Coke bottles. No, it's not. Coke, I, no, no, uh, Roman Coke bottles oh, from two thousand okay. years ago. No, and, and it's always <laughs> a shade of blue, a pale blue, but um, anyway, it's just uh, something I want. It, it's not really precious jewelry, but to me it is. And the last time we were there, I bought myself a beautiful pair of earrings and somehow came home with one. So <laughs> I've been wanting a pair. So if, if you ever go the Van Gogh route, yes, you have. 
jewelry to match. Yes, if I At least just one, have my one, one earring. earring. Yes, that's yes, true. true. That's true. The, the, really, the last thing I'll say, the very neat thing about this trip was that we went with a lot of people that Scott and I did not know very well ahead of time. And some not at, at all. all. So some of them were completely, you know, except for our little meetings prior to Israel, um, we didn't know them, and it was wonderful to get to know so many people. And it's always wonderful going with people who've never seen Israel for the first time and just watching their faces. And right. it's. You just can't believe you're there. You just can't believe you're there. And I can't believe we're back. I can't believe we're, I, I I mean, can believe we're back. It's just kind of wild. Anyway, <laughs> we did miss you guys. I promise. We yeah, truly absolutely. Did. And I, we I, really did. I checked in, and I know Cecil did my class on Sundays, and I know Cecil did a great job. On all three days, because we talked about all that before. With I talked about all that with him before we left. And, and we are definitely coming out live, right? Yeah. Okay. Just the I'm little green asking. bars moving. Okay. I think everything's good. Okay. The one underneath it says muted, so I was just be, just being sure. Yeah, that that's that that's a different. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I think we're good. So. I guess that's it's... nifty. We're gonna. Should we go ahead and open with prayer then? Yes. <laughs> Please forgive us. I don't know we, what are we doing here. We are. <laughs> Is this class? I don't we're, know. We're we're uh, we're okay. Yeah, we're Let's going. Pray. Let's go. Gracious Lord, we are so grateful to be back here. Well, I know we're online, but we're still with our friends. Um, some of whom are here, some of whom are in far distant places, and we just pray that you would open our hearts and minds as we come to starting something new. We were in Isaiah for a long time. It was a wonderful journey through Isaiah for, for 30 weeks. But but now we turn to Paul and 1 Thessalonians, and we are um, excited about it and hearing his letter to this uh, really what must have been a wonderful group of, of persecuted believers in the first century. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All righty. Gonna move okay. over. All right, everybody. So, and don't forget, you can type in questions and comments, and that will be really, really helpful to, today if you have any. If you can come up with anything, I'll answer questions about anything. It said the COVID. Video I don't and know. Audio are four by four. What? The video and audio are four by four. I don't know what that means. I don't know either. That was from Tom Ayers. I'm not. I sure think that something. means it's it's fine. It's good. Okay. Thumbs up. <laughs> I mean, it's all it's, it should all be working fine from thumbs my up. end. Thumbs up. So yeah, Susan thumbs Faulkner up. said all good. So all good. Okay. Good. Four by four. The all best. Right. Oh, the Tom best. Said it was the best. All right. So here's the thing. Today we are beginning First Thessalonians. Now there are two letters by Paul in the in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. We will probably, we'll probably do each. I'll probably move to 2 Thessalonians after we finish first, but we'll see. And 1 Thessalonians competes, if that's the right word, with Galatians to be the earliest letter of Paul's that we have. Now, notice I didn't say the earliest letter he wrote because I would bet you a lot that he wrote other letters that just weren't able to be preserved, weren't preserved, didn't get passed around and copied as much in order to to make it through the entire community and end up becoming scripture. So, so don't think that the letters of Paul that we have are the full extent of his writings, but... Um, 
1 Thessalonians and Galatians compete for the earliest, and I think it's Galatians myself, but 1 Thessalonians is probably written about 50 AD or so, um, um, 51 maybe, very early, so you're within 20 years or so after Jesus' death and resurrection. And when we come to Thessalonians, the place to really begin is not just to flip open to 1 Thessalonians and read that. What I want to do is to go to Acts chapter 17, because that is where Luke recounts for us Paul's visit to Thessalonians. And if you, re if you know how that story goes, of when he actually got there and what happened, it will make, your, make you appreciate 1 Thessalonians a lot more. Okay, so go ahead and find your way to Acts 17. <laughs> now I got to do a little chapstick. You know, it's funny. I went through Israel with chapsticks. I travel with spares. I needed them. <laughs> it's dry over there. It's so dry. It is very, very dry, dry. But, you know, I told Scott, while we were there, at home I have to take heartburn medicine twice a day. It doesn't matter what I eat. There, no heartburn medicine, no allergy medicine, certainly nothing to help me go to sleep at night. It's, I don't know, it's just a, a different climate and it's definitely a different diet. And we had a different diet. Different you end up, diet. when you're touring, you just don't eat as much. I mean, you go down to the buffet at night, there's a lot of things you don't under, understand about what's down there. And the food's good, but you just don't eat, I, I, at least I didn't eat as much and I probably ate more more salady type things than I typically do at home and, and lighter meals and yes. and that kind of thing. Don't you think, Patty? I do. I, every time we went down, it doesn't matter. Um, the Israelis eat salad for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah. Seriously. There, every time there's a full spread of salad stuff out. And I can never handle meal. any of that at breakfast. Just, just on the record. Me neither. And, <laughs> Patty, you said that you lost weight. I came back and this morning I was three pounds thinner and I think I. I bet it was more than that because you're you're still post airline flight, yeah. which always puts on weight. So that was good. So yeah. So if you want to, you know, lose a few. Pounds, I guess next time I'll, I'll promote it. Come to Israel, lose a few <laughs> <Lose> pounds. <weight. laughs> okay, enough of this silliness. Sorry. We are That's still okay. quite quite jet lagged. And I, we are. I just saw Linda Waldo, who was with another oh, yeah. group, another big group, yeah. flew home. So we know they just got home about noon today, um, arrived around wow. noon today. And, and she's, she's online. She's here. So. And Vivian Jenkins, who went with us, is yes. here as well. Yes. So Vivian and Glenn went with us. You guys us, so. get extra, extra gold stars. Man. All right. Okay. Scott, I'm not going to talk about anything else anymore. I'm just going to let you dive in here. with. Okay. So let me have, I have brought a few slides to get you oriented. Okay. So let's, let's, let's do that. Okay, here we go. So, this is a map of, you know, it's, I'll just put, put one more aside. You know, when you go through Israel with the guides, the guides use maps a lot. They have all these things that they're pointing to and holding up and everything um, because they're just so helpful. Now, this is a map. You can see the path on it. This is a map of Paul's second missionary journey. Um, if you start over there in Antioch, which is, or, um, uh, or Caesarea, which is, which actually that's a place we visit on these trips, and and you go directly northward to Antioch, 
Well, you're going to have to tell people Syria. what Antioch even is. <laughs> and lo look where it says Syria on the far right-hand corner, right-hand side of the map. Yes. See, it says Syria. Mm -hmm. South of it, it says Damascus. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just north of it, it says Antioch. That was an important city in the Roman Empire. On his first missionary journey, he, he, he just visited the places in southern Turkey, southern Asian Minor, they called it in his, in his day. But the second missionary journey, he's going to head back to those places like Iconium, Derby, and Lystra. And then he's going to go north and then head west and cross over to the European mainland and take a main highway. So go over to um, where he's going to jump across the water there. And, and, and land at a place called Neapolis. And that's where he's going to pick up the um, one of these highways, major roads. And he goes from Neapolis to Philippi. And that is the Philippi um, to which he, he writes to the Christians there. That letter's called Philippians, oddly. Philippi. <laughs> and then he's going to go south to uh, Amphipolis and a place called Apollonia uh, or yeah, probably Apollonia, south of that, and then to Thessalonica. And I have a red area, kind of red arrow pointing to all those areas there. Okay, so you see Thessalonica there. Right, Patty? Absolutely. Go on down a little bit further and look at Berea. Mm -hmm. There, just as well. Right okay, on you know, top he, of Mount Olympus on yeah, the map. Yeah, just on the, it's all following this highway um, down to there. So in Thessalonica, it was a prosperous city, um, had a Jewish community there, had a Jewish synagogue. Um, this is, they're, they're doing excavations. This is a, a model of some of those excavations um, down in the Forum. The Forum is the marketplace, the center of the city. And the model is, I think, showing largely the areas that they feel like they've excavated pretty well so far. Um, you'll notice on the right-hand side, there's an amphitheater. That's always a mark of one of these Greco-Roman cities. Just by way of interest, um, four miles from Nazareth, uh, where Jesus grew up and, and, and where he began his public ministry, uh, there was a city named Sepphoris and in Sepphoris, they had a an amphitheater, and it's it's still there today. So, it here's a shot, here's a photo of the uh, excavations going on. This right in the um, the the city there today is called Thessaloniki, or sometimes Salonica. It's been called in its history. But it's still there. The city is a city, of course, is built up. It's a modern Greek city, as Greek cities go. And uh, but they've done excavations in the city center to reveal some of the ancient um, Thessalonica there. Okay, don't need that one. Okay, so let's just read the story of Paul coming to Thessalonica. Okay. So we're at 17, we're at Acts 17, verse 1. 
When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. Some Greek cities had a Jewish population and some did not. This Thessalonica did. It was a prosperous city, pretty large city, had a Jewish community, and had a Jewish synagogue. Okay, verse 2. As was, his, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures. This is Paul's standard mode of operation. He would go into a city. Um, this is a place he had not been before because this is only his second journey, so he has not been here before. And he goes into, if there's a synagogue in a Jewish community, he goes to them first. And he preaches and he teaches and he reasons with them and tries to work with them to help them grasp this news that he is bringing that indeed this Yeshua from Nazareth who was crucified by the Romans was actually, is actually the Messiah that so many Jews had been waiting for. So hence it says here in verse 2, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days. So for three weeks, right? Three Sabbath days would be three Saturdays. And on three Saturdays, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Now, what scriptures are those? There's no New Testament scriptures. He's reasoning with them from the Hebrew, from the Hebrew scriptures, the Hebrew scrolls, the Hebrew Bible, which is your Old Testament. The Hebrew Bible is arranged differently than your Old Testament, but it's the same stuff. I have a Hebrew study, a Jewish study Bible behind me on my shelf. Um, the translation differs a little bit, but it's that he, Jewish study Bible and my NRSV or the NIV I'm reading from right now, they're, they're translating from the same Hebrew text for the Old Testament writings. We just call it the Old Testament. They call it the Hebrew Bible. Same thing. Though the, Philip Yancey once wrote a book called The Bible Jesus Read. And he called it The Bible Jesus Read because it was a book about the Old Testament. All the Old Testament writings are finished and done and accepted by, by, by Jesus' day. In the final moment when the Jewish leaders at a place called Zamnia say, well... This is it. We're done. It's these writings and and no more. That's only about a hundred years after Jesus. So so his Bible was our Bible, okay? Or is our Bible. Okay, so I lost my screen here. I talked so long. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so here's this other piece. So he, for three Sabbaths, he's reasoning with them. What's the sec? What, what's the great commandment that 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 Jesus uh, reiterated from Deuteronomy six four? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, every part of you. That includes our minds. We are to be able to reason with people. Now, Peter cautions us, rightly, when he says, be ready to defend what you believe, but do it with gentleness and humility and reverence, right? Those kinds of words. 
We're not to get in people's faces or anything like that. That's not God's way. Um, uh, it's. I guess I could write a book someday that will never. It will never be written. But like the beautiful art of persuasion, right through reasoning about the scriptures. That's what Paul does. He's a Pharisee. He knows these scriptures inside and out. You see it in his writings, uh, in his letters. He knows them inside and out. Studied at the feet of the great Rabbi Gamaliel um, back in Jerusalem when he was a younger man. And now he's reasoning with them from the scriptures. Verse 3, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. So what he's doing is taking the Hebrew scriptures and helping his fellow Jews in Thessalonica see that if the Hebrew scriptures were understood correctly, then you would see in them the coming of Jesus as the Messiah, um, his death, and his resurrection. And this is very much what Jesus taught. Very much what Jesus taught. It's what he spoke to Nicodemus about. Um, when Nicodemus came to see him in John 3 during the night, he comes to Jesus and he says, I don't get it. And Jesus says, well, you're a teacher. How can you not get it? Don't you understand your own scriptures? Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the scriptures. Every jot, every tittle, every, every down to the tiniest bit of punctuation. He was the fulfillment of everything that had come before. So let's look right now at a parable Jesus told about this, that people don't really, they don't really get why Jesus told this parable. They want to turn it into something else. Okay, so go to chap, <coughs> go to Luke. I'm doing this with you. Oh, man, maybe. <laughs> I've been gone so long, I can't remember how to work my own iPad. Go to, go to Luke chapter 16, verse... Oh, I wrote it down here. Verse 19. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. There we go. So this, Luke chapter 16, and Patty will write it in the comment section for did. you. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. This is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. I love this parable. You know, it's it's funny because when I started this work 20 years ago, I determined, I, I said, Scott, you're going to do this seriously and you are going to let Scripture speak for itself and you're going to try to see with the fresh mind what's really there and not bring into it lots of assumptions about what's there. And one of those was around what happens to us when we die, okay? And I, you know, I would have assumed that the Bible was full of that kind of stuff. And, you know, that clearly that when I die, there's an up elevator or up escalator, a down escalator and stuff, one to heaven, one to hell, whatever you want to talk about it. But as I worked with the New Testament, I saw, well, no, it, it isn't that. And so people ask me, do I think that, that Jesus, that somebody could come to know Christ on the other side of the grave? And I said, I still say, well, yeah, I think so. 
God's grace is expansive. Why would why would our deaths be a barrier to God's grace? And so I, I've put out the challenge a few times to, to say to people, well, find a place for me that takes away that hope or expectation that says, boom, here's how it is. And I always get this parable back. And this is not a parable about the afterlife. We'll see what it's about in a second. It's in the context of an afterlife, but it's an ancient story, much older than Jesus. This is a... We have about seven versions of this story that are all a little bit different that come out of the ancient world. So it's an old story because it's just such a good story, such a good little parable, a good little short story. And Jesus takes it and puts his own twist on it, which is the big point in the story because there are two big points in this parable. So, verse 19. Well, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple, the color of royalty, and fine linen, and lived in luxury every day. Well, at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Could you have a more dramatic contrast between the unnamed rich man and the named Lazarus? I don't think so. Verse 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And so the rich man called to Father Abraham, have pity on me. And look what he asked for. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. It's a great, it's a story of a great reversal, right? This great reversal. It was the rich man up here, Lazarus down here, and now, whoop, they're completely reversed. And besides all this, Abraham says, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place. Those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Well, the rich man answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come close to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses. They have the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, the rich man said. If someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And Abraham said to him, If they don't listen to Moses 
and the prophet. They will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead, as in whom? When Jesus tells this parable. Jesus is the one telling this parable. So who is it that's going to rise from the dead? Himself. Himself. Yeah. Which is another big thing with Jesus. Is people keep, you know, when he says, look, I'm going to, basically I'm going to die and rise in three days, and, and, and people still won't believe. But the key point here is that the Jews have what they need to understand who Jesus is. They have Moses and the prophets. They can understand. Right? They could understand. They could hear the call to not ignore Lazarus who was laying by the front door as the rich man goes in and out every day for his entire life. They can... They have the scriptures to understand what God's work is in this world. So, you know, the, the parable really has these two main points. Don't ignore the poor, right? And the Old Testament scriptures are sufficient in and of themselves to bring you to Jesus, to point you to Jesus as the Messiah. Maybe not Lord, maybe not not Lord, maybe not Savior of the world, but certainly as Messiah, which is what the Jewish idea is, right? So when Paul is reasoning with the Jews in the synagogue at Thessalonica on three Sabbath days, three Saturdays, he is trying to help them see in the Hebrew Scriptures that Jesus is the one they had been waiting for. And that indeed he must suffer, because that's the tough part. The tough part for Jews when it comes to Yeshua, Jesus, is that he was crucified. And that's humiliation and shameful. That can't be how the Messiah that can't be the Messiah's end. If someone ended up crucified or dead under a Roman sword, it only meant they weren't the Messiah. So Paul has his work come out, cut out for him, but Paul, Paul knows, as Jesus did, that when the scriptures are properly read, they bring you to Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, the anointed one um, of God. So, any questions about that, Patty? No. No questions at all yet, Scotty. No questions from anybody out there? Nobody. Okay. Well, let's go back to, shoot, go back to Acts 17. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, it's real important. To, so, so, Luke takes the time to really help us grasp what's happening there in Thessalonica. Right, with this yes. whole explaining, proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. Not particularly that first part, the suffering part. Um, I've heard the Gospel of Mark taught as one entire gospel justifying how the Messiah had to suffer. Because that's, you know, if you were a Jew, that's unthinkable. If you're a Gentile, it's just silly. Like the, the Gentiles would say, wow, how silly a God to get himself crucified, in the words of Ben Witherington. 
So, he's explaining and proving in verse 3 that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. And then he says, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Christ. You see, I just got back from Israel, so now I'm overflowing with little Hebrew words here and there. In fact, on Sunday morning, I'm going to teach a couple Hebrew words. How about that, Patty? That'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah, big fun. <laughs> so, now look at verse. Look at verse four. Some of the Jews were persuaded. It's this reminder that that in the early years of the, I'll call it the Jesus movement. In the early years of the Jesus movement, people coming to embrace Jesus as Messiah, and then as God. Remember, those are two different ideas. They come together in Jesus, but those are two different, two very different ideas or concepts. In these early years, the most of the people coming to embrace Jesus as Messiah are Jewish. It's it, it's a it's it's like a Jewish what? It's like a Jewish cult within Judaism. This this cult around this man Jesus. Right? Yeah. So they're all Jews. All the disciples are Jewish. All the apostles are Jewish. Paul's Jewish. He's going there. He goes to the synagogue. We have Jews who are being persuaded that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, the true king of Israel, anointed by God. So in verse 4, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. Now, Silas is an important character in the New Testament. He doesn't have, we don't have a writing from Silas, except for the fact there are a few hints that in some of the letters he's Paul's co-author. Very significant, very important, spent time in Jerusalem, probably had the reputation to bring legitimacy to what Paul was doing um, on the first missionary journey when Paul is going to travel with John Mark. He ends up sending John Mark home and Silas joins him. The tricky part is you see his name two ways in Scripture because we're going to see it in two ways today. Silas and Silvanus. Silvanus is simply the Latinized form. Silas and Silvanus are the same person. And I guess what you need to most know is a very important um, person in these years recounted in the book of Acts, of Paul's ministry, of the working of the forward of the church and so forth in these communities. So you keep coming across Silas in Acts and you run keep coming across Silas in Paul's letters. It's sometimes called Silvanus. Okay? Do we get to know what Hebrew words you'll share in advance of your Sunday class? Or is it a surprise? It's a surprise, Evie. <laughs> it's a surprise, Evie. If you're not able to make it on Sunday and and you can't stream it, I will I will tell you next Tuesday. <laughs> okay? Believe me, this is not that big. This is not that big a thing. <laughs> I just thought I'd come back and yes. teach yeah yeah so it, it's all our right. guides wanted to teach us yes so I'm we I'm I'm playing the guide on the bus <laughs> so yeah 
modest, think modest um, expectations. Now, verse 4, yes, some of the Jews were persuaded. That's big. And joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks. Okay, God-fearing is a technical term, really. These are Gentiles who find themselves drawn to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you meet more than a few of them across the New Testament. You meet them in Jerusalem. You meet them during Paul's travels. Um, why were they drawn to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I think my first answer, of course, would be because God is working on their hearts. But, you know, in an earthly sense, I think it's because this, the pantheon of Roman gods and goddesses and Greek gods and goddesses was so large and so expansive and such a soap opera that honestly it often bordered on the ridiculous. And I think a lot of people sensed that. I think that deep down they, they knew that this, all of these complicated mythologies and, and scandalous stories about these supposed gods and goddesses who lived up on Mount Olympus and stared down and moved, the peop, moved us humans around like little ants and the rest of it, that there was something wrong with that. And so they were drawn to, um, they were drawn to, Yahweh and to the Jews and to the Hebrew scriptures. Remember in Acts Acts 8 when Philip is transported by the Holy Spirit to go meet this Ethiopian eunuch, this important powerful man who's the treasurer in Ethiopia? That man is a God-fearing Gentile. He, he's already on a mission <laughs> to, to go to Jerusalem, right? He wants to know, explain this to me, explain this to me, he says. So that's who these God-fearing Greeks are. It's just as if God had kind of paved the way for these Gentiles to hear Paul's word and accept the truth of it. Um, about almost 20 years ago now, at St. Andrew, we had a pastor from England come and stay with us for a few days and preach and teach and he said the of all the things he talked about the one that I remember the most he said you know when you're going to witness for Jesus look for the person of peace you don't have to try to take a two by four to somebody or let them take a two by four to your head you don't have to do that you you won't if you try that you won't last long at this Try to try to be discerning and see when th somebody is is a little bit ready. A person of peace, who's a little bit ready to hear the good news, whom God has prepared just a bit. And I thought that was re now twenty years later. I think that's that's actually profound. Look for the person of peace, and I think these Greek fearing Gentiles would be those. They're prepared. But they're still Gentiles. What is the difference between a God-fearing Greek and a Jewish? Talk about the men. What's the difference between a God-fearing Greek man 
and a Jewish man. The God-fearing Greek man is not circumcised. That, my friends, would be the big step. It would be the big step and would permanently mark that Greek man as being part of the Jewish community. And what would probably happen to him is that he would be accepted by neither. The Gentiles would be suspicious of him and the Jews would be suspicious of him. So I don't think it happened very much. Indeed, well, I won't get into it, but anyway. As did a large number of Greek-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. There we go again. I think Arthur preached about women while I was gone. I'm not sure, but, you know, I think so. Paul encounters a lot of prominent women, and he gives them a voice in a world which they didn't have much of a voice. And you see it in how in the women that he works with in his ministry. And when he comes into a town and says something like he said to the Galatians, you know, in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. It's a message of liberation. It's a message of freedom. And women were very much suppressed. A woman's place, you know, we, the old phrase, a woman's place is in the home. Well, in, in this world, in the world of Thessalonica, that is the world in just, <laughs> it's everything. A woman had a private life in a private portion of the home. That's what she was responsible for. A woman did not, she was not educated. She did not lead a public life. A few did. Some of these did. Prominent women who perhaps had inherited money from their father or inherited money from a husband and were, they were able to use that money to escape the constraints that were on most women. And uh, so a few prominent women. Again, Luke is, it's just like Luke wants to, Remind us, you know, this is not a males-only club. There, are, This is happening through women, too. As controversial as that would have been in, in their day. Okay, so all this is happening at Thessalonica. Any other questions? <laughs> okay, well... There you go, Evie. If you'll be there on Sunday, you'll you'll get it. <laughs> okay, verse 5. Well, I'm going to add a little phrase of my own at the beginning. Not surprisingly. But other Jews were jealous. Can I ask you where you are? are I'm you? sorry. Acts 17, verse 5. Okay, sorry, sorry. We're still at where we have, we are... I don't know if we're, if we're going to even get to First Thessalonians okay. today, but but this is we're reading about Thessalonians right here, and it sets up the letter. That's what we're doing, okay? But other Jews were jealous. This is this is what Paul encountered, so they rounded up some bad characters. <laughs> I don't know, tough guys. From the marketplace, which is where I guess you went to find tough guys, formed the mob and started a riot in the city. Oh my gosh! Well, that's awful because when that ha when that happened, 
the city authorities would step in quickly because the Romans wanted the peace kept. They only wanted two things in these places, the taxes collected and the peace kept. They wanted the taxes collected because that was how the empire, you know, sustained itself. They wanted the peace kept because a riot in one town leads to a riot in five other towns and leads to a riot in 20 towns. And pretty soon you actually have a revolt going on against Roman authority and that they wouldn't, so they would want to snuff it out quickly every time. So they formed a mob, started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. So obviously Jason is a Christian, a believer at this point, somebody who is providing um, a room and board, providing a home, a place for Paul and Silas while they are in Thessalonica. So they rush to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged poor Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. Now, who are these men? Paul and Silas. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. So let me ask you something. Is that a true statement? What do you think? Is that a true statement? That they are, they are proclaiming that there is another king, and his name is Jesus, and he is the true king. The answer to that question is yes. You know, this is what got Jesus crucified in Jerusalem with a sign over his head that says, you know, Jesus, you know, king of the Jews. There's only, in, in the Roman Empire, there's only room for one king, and that's Caesar. So anytime somebody else would step forward and claim to be king or have supporters claiming him to be king and or whatever, yeah, yeah, that would, there's a, there's a political element, element to the whole thing. And so that's not an untrue statement. They are. Messiah, Christ, those are same word, just two languages. Messiah, Christ, um, is a royal term. Royal term. It's a kingly term. To call Jesus the Messiah, to call him the Christ, to refer to him as Jesus Christ, is to refer to him as the king. And kings are what? Kings are lords. And there's only room for one in this town called the Roman Empire. So, well, verse 8, when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, they had bond, bail back in those days. Then they made, they probably have it more than we do now. Anyway, no, no comment there. Verse 9, then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. We lose sight of Jason then. We don't really know. I don't think what happened with him. But anyway, he, he was a believer. And you can see that you can expect that in Thessalonica there's going to be trouble for the believers here. But it's not over. 
Now, remember, Berea was just a little bit south of Thessalonica, the next city down the road. Okay? Verse 10. Now, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. They got them out of town. Best solution to the problem they're having. They got them out of town. On arriving there, where did they go? To the Jewish synagogue. Oh, yes, it's what Paul did. Why did Paul insist upon doing it this, this way? It's so often led to trouble. Why did he go to the Jewish synagogues Because first? he was a Jew and he loved his Jews. I sure think. he did. He was Jewish, born Jewish, died Jewish. He had accepted Jesus as his Messiah and Lord and Savior, but he was Jewish through and through. And his heart longed for his fellow Jews to hear the truth of the good news. And Romans 9 and Romans 10 and Romans 11 are really about that question for Paul. What about his fellow Jews? So it's no surprise to me that he is willing to deal with the consequences of going to these synagogues. It's not that he's imprudent. Paul's a prudent man. He's weighed the consequences. He understands what the consequences are. He's just willing to, to suffer them. So on arriving there, Paul and Silas went to the Jewish synagogue. Verse 11. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. So Luke says. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women. There we go again. All these little clues dropped in about the role of women in this ministry, how it became something in the Christian church where like women weren't allowed to preach to men, I just don't get. It all comes out of a couple of mishandled verses you know, in a, in a couple of New Testament letters. But just look at what's happening here. As did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. These are Gentiles. They are Greeks, right? But they, they are, they're all Gentiles. They could be from anywhere, but they're, they're, they're Gentiles. They're not Jewish. So the movement is, you know, begun and started and sustained by Jewish believers who embrace Jesus as Messiah. And now the Gentiles are, are beginning to really enter the movement. And of course, what does that mean? That the day is not far away when the number of Gentiles will overwhelm the number of Jews. Because there's like 66 million people in the Roman Empire. There's like, I don't know, Two million Jews, something like that. So it won't be long after this and then 60 AD and 70 AD that Judaism and Christianity sort of part ways. And a lot of people forgot that Jesus was Jewish. <laughs> so anyway, okay. 
Excuse me. So. Excuse me. Let me go, let's see. So verse, let's just, let's finish this up here. Verse 12, as a result, this is in Berea. This is why, if you look around, there are a lot of Berean churches and places that use the word Berea in their name because it's, oh, they get such a good story in the book of Acts. They're peaceful and they're no, noble character. They reasoned and they thought and they studied and they didn't make trouble for anybody. But there is about to be trouble. So, verse 13. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too. They just can't. Haven't you known people who just can't keep their nose out of stuff? Yep. Who just have to keep stirring up trouble, stirring the pot, making trouble. So they, these Jews are going to, agitators, are going to go all the way from Thessalonica down the road to Berea <laughs> in order to try to shut Paul up. So they learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea. Some of them went there too, agitated the crowds, and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast. He's gonna, they're going to get him out of there. And they, indeed, he goes to the coast and he sails on. He's not going to stay on the land road anymore. He's going to sail on to get, get out of this. They're protecting Paul. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy... Right, Timothy, the first and second Timothy. But Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join Paul as soon as possible. So what I love about the book of Acts is that you can really picture a lot of these things happening. So what have we learned about the Thessalonian believers whom Paul is, writes a letter to? They must have a lot of uh, problems and con controversy and everything right, right where they are, right? Right. That, that, those who have accepted uh, Jesus. From all indications, they would be persecuted. Yes, yes. Especially the Jewish believers, right? Because it's, it's the Jews, other Jews in the synagogue are stirred up, and so they're particularly going to be persecuting Jewish believers who, who came to Christ. And... Um, Considering they traveled to another city, just <laughs> yes, I know, minding, not minding their own business um, whatsoever, just just to make trouble. They probably would have followed Paul to the next town if he hadn't gotten out of Dodge, as we put it. Okay, so let's just get a taste of First Thessalonians itself, because I think it's about nearly four o'clock. So let's find 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, now, verse Scott, 1. Again, yes, my dear. First and 2 Thessalonians, is this again that the book was so big they divided it into two, or are they two separate things? That's never the, never is it the case in the New Testament that you have something divided into two pieces. Okay. Only the heat, there's a couple of Hebrew scrolls, three Hebrew scrolls that get divided. First and Second Samuel is actually one scroll. First and Second Kings is actually one scroll, and First and Second Chronicles is actually one scroll. But that is not true of any. These are First and Second 
First and Second Thessalonians are just two different letters. First, it, two different letters. Okay. Two different letters, like First and Second Corinthians. Okay. Two different letters. In fact, Second Corinthians, most people accept that for Second Corinthians is actually a couple of letters squeezed together. Well, this really isn't a very long letter, is it? Oh, it's not. It's a, no, it's a yes. short letter. Yeah, the short letter. But it's a, it's a great letter, okay? But it's particularly wonderful if you if you understand just a bit about the people to whom it's written, and what Paul went through there, and what the believers probably went through there in the wake of Paul having to escape out of town. So, here's how it begins. Paul, Silas, or Silvanus, and Timothy. So, where we ended it at in Acts, it said that Paul had escaped to Athens and sent instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him. So, they've obviously rejoined, and at some later time, and most scholars don't think it's a lot later, he writes a letter back. Paul does maybe with help from Silas, to the believers in Thessalonica who are meeting in some house churches in Thessalonica. How many? We can't know, but it's not going to be a lot of people. Um, not a lot of people. There's no, you know, there's no big churches like, you know, St. Andrew or anything else. Um, there are groups of 10, 20, 30 Christians meeting in people's homes quietly. I think trying probably trying to stay a bit underneath the radar. So here's how he begins it. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church. So let's talk about the word church for a second. Church has a very specific meaning in most of our minds. Um, in the Greek, it just means the assembly. So to the assemblies, to to the house churches, to the house assemblies, to the meetings, to the meeting groups. <laughs> That's all it means. It doesn't mean anything institutional. There's no institution at this time. There's just groups of believers who are trying to hang together and live together and learn together and worship together and be Jesus' disciples together. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every time in Paul's letters, you see him calling Jesus Christ Lord. It's a big moment because Lord Kyrios in the Greek, um, which is what this is. This is, of course, written in Greek. Um, that word in the Hebrew is Adonai. And when, when the name of God, Yahweh, as you you come when the Jews came across it in Scripture, they wouldn't pronounce God's name. It was too holy to pronounce. What I just did would offend some Jews. That I would even say the word Yahweh would offend some Jews. But when when they came across the name of God, they wouldn't say God's name. They would say Adonai, Adonai, Lord, Lord, Lord. And indeed, we keep that up in English. Because if you look at your Old Testament from beginning to end, anytime the name of God is there, it doesn't have like YHWH. It just simply says the Lord God. 
and the Lord in those funky small caps is 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 God's name. So, and when Paul applies that to Jesus, it's profound. They're trying to, these Christians are making their way forward to understanding what did it mean that Jesus was crucified and risen? Why were they finding themselves worshiping him? How could he forgive sins? How could he do the things that only God could do? And I'm not talking about miracles. I'm talking about understanding. I'm talking about forgiving sins, those kinds of things. How, how could he do that? He is God. And they're working forward on how to express that. So he says, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He just writes it on out. Grace and peace to you. Nice, simple greeting at the beginning of the letter. Grace and peace to you. Wouldn't it be wonderful if every politician that stands up to debate an opponent begins with grace and peace to you tonight? <laughs> Don't think it's going to happen. Okay, grace and peace to you. And now here's what he says. He says, we, who's the we? Is it Paul or Royal we? I don't know. I don't think so as much. I mean, he's got people he's working with and traveling with. I think he means Paul, Silas, and Timothy. It's how he begins the letter. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. Hmm. Do you think that's hyperbolic? Do you think he's exaggerating that he really that he really keeps these Thessalonians in on top of mind and heart in his prayers? I would say yeah, because he knows what they're going through. Yeah, I would say it's not an exaggeration. Yeah. He does do this. He knows what they went through. He knows that they got him out of town. He knows that they they and the Bereans got him out of town twice. Right to protect him and, and what they've been suffering. And so he, he, he has no way of making any phone calls or checking in on social media to see what happens back there, what's happening back there. All he, can, all he knows is what he fears might be happening back there until he gets some letter coming to him about it. So I, I, I don't think it's an exaggeration at all. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God, for Paul's God, Silas's God, Timothy's God, the Thessalonians' God, the Bereans' God, are all the same one God. This has been on my heart a lot lately, around the things happening in the UMC and, and Methodism. We are all of us. We must find our identity in Christ. Not in any particular church. Not in any particular denomination. Not in any particular way the world wants to do it. In gender or race or nationality or anything else. We are, our identity is found in Christ.
our brothers and sisters in, that will be remaining in the United Methodist Church are as much our brothers and sisters a year from now as they were a year ago. It has to be that case. My brothers and we encountered brothers and sisters all over the place in Israel. A lot of Christian touring groups over, over there right now from all over the world, from Russia, from Greece, from Africa, Asia, everywhere, small groups, big groups. They are all our brothers and sisters in Christ. They are as, as, they are as much our brothers and sisters as the people we worship with every Sunday at St. Andrew. And we have to remind ourselves of that and keep reminding ourselves and reminding ourselves and reminding ourselves because it's easy to forget. It's easy to be chopped up into tribes. But no. Paul says, we remember before our God and Father. Your work produced by faith and your labor prompted by love. The word work there is a Greek word that talks about producing something. Okay. In the Greek, it's really just your work of faith. Now, the NIV translators solve it this way. It's the work produced by faith. It could be that the work is faith itself. Okay, I'm inclined to agree with the NIV translators. It's about what, what does faith do? Where does faith lead you? Coming to put your trust in Christ leads you where? It should be outside yourself. <laughs> it should be toward others, toward helping others, finding that, telling the story of Jesus or, or a few words of comfort to, to people who are, being, who are going through difficult times, feeding and clothing and just being a joyful, kind, compassionate person. I think this, our St. Andrew groups do a really good job of that when we go to Israel. What did one of the guides say to you? He, he told me that he was, he swore on his children's life that we would be. <laughs> That's most, what he said? He on says, our children, on his children's life? He lives. did, that it, we were just the most amazing group that he had ever, ever worked with. And we have heard that before. We really have, we just can't imagine, you know, everybody is kind and caring towards each other but you just wonder who are these other people you do don't you yes because he's a very experienced driver he obviously right have been yeah it was one was it mayor uh-huh mayor yeah he's taken lots of groups around he's one of the drivers bus drivers are an integral part of the touring for any of you who haven't been there they are they're not it's not quite like the guides but boy the drivers play a big part they do in 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 the process so i was so glad to hear mayor say that because he, you know it's a good witness to him that he sees the saint andrew group that way so your work produced by faith when you come to faith and you put your trust in jesus here's another way to think about it when when you put your faith in jesus it needs to produce something Yes. Right? Yes. It can't just it can't just lie fallow. 
there, like you know, seed that never grows. It's it 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 has to lead to something. It must. <laughs> it must. There's just you know, it's it's not like oh, I hope it will. No, it will. It and I very firmly believe that in the New Testament, if 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 someone says, well, I I put my faith in Jesus, and they have nothing to show for it, in the way of the fruit of the spirit, for example, they're not. They're not even just less mean or less annoying or whatever the way it is. If they have nothing to show for it, they have to ask themselves, did I really put my faith in Christ? Because by putting your faith in Christ, what also happens? You are reborn. You become a new person, new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All that is going to produce. produce. Now look at the next phrase. Your labor prompted by love. Now that's another Greek word for work, labor is. But that gets to hardship. It's a labor of love. That that, you know, the translation here rather than the it's probably closer to the Greek just to say your labor of love. But your labor prompted by love, um not so sure I like that as much, but your labor of love it recognizes that sometimes what we do as Christians is difficult. It often is. I'm going to say often because people are people. You know, I guess I, I probably know and I've read about people who, you know, go from church to church to church to church trying to find the perfect church. And guess what? They never do. And guess what? You know, there are probably people at St. Andrew that annoy us. Well, hopefully not the same person <laughs> for annoying all of us. But, but that person's our brothers or sister in, in Christ. And we should not ignore them. It's, it's, it's just it. You, they might not be, ever be your best bud, but we shouldn't ignore them. Um, sometimes we're called sometimes the work of the church requires us to do things that are just I don't know what they're boring a bit frightening but you have to press on I was once I was early at this stuff I was called to a house because a man had died and his body was still there, and the family wanted to pray over his dead body in the house right there. And I had never done anything like that. And it, you know, I loved old John. He was a good guy, but it still kind of freaked me out. But you go. And you know what often happens? Ah, you're surprised. You're surprised by what it becomes and what it what it means for others when you when you reach out to them and, and and you help them in that way so your labor prompted by love why did i go to john's house he had just died i didn't go there for john so much he was dead but i went there for his family out of respect for john and because i was asked to your labor prompted by love and your endurance <laughs> your endurance 
Sometimes the Christian faith is simply putting one foot in front of the other day after day after day after day. Do you always want to get up on Sunday and go? No. Should we get up every Sunday and go? Yes. <laughs> you may not want to come here Monday at 3 o'clock and be online, but should you? Well, of course you should be. Endurance. There's a lot of things that we have to endure. There's more things that we have to endure now than people probably thought of it, you know, 40 or 50 years ago. Because in Christianity, there's more open hostility. Not so much, I think, in our part of the, of the world here, part of the country. But in other parts of the country, yes. So, your endurance, inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we come back together next week, we're going to talk about that word hope. Because it is, it is not what most people think it is. It is that What most people think it is is not what Paul's talking about. But we'll do that next week because it's 4.15 now and I am, gosh, Patty, I'm ready to go to sleep yeah, for the night. Can't. <laughs> now we're going to stay up. If you go to sleep now, you're going to be up. Yeah, I'll, be, at, I'll be doomed. You'll be up at 2 or 3 in the morning and you'll be, be miserable. Yeah, yeah, you got it, honey. So... All right. So, oops. Oops. I'll lean in. I'll lean. I'll lean. I'll lean in. There we go. There we go. Anyway, thank you, all of you, for being here today. Yes. We, uh, you know, you never know when you come back from a trip if people are going to remember. Remember, since I sent yes. out no reminders or anything. That's right. very impressive. That's anybody right. remembered. And I would have sent out a reminder, except I've been loopy all day <laughs> just, <laughs> so. just slightly just slightly just slightly yep yep okay so anyway guys thank you so much of course tomorrow if um if scott's awake no he will no be. we will be <laughs> at at class tomorrow in person at 12 o'clock down in noon and para hall i'm going to talk about the resurrection some more that's right that's where we are in first corinthians is the chapter 15 the resurrection We're getting really close i love to that. being at the end of that book and so. i've decided what i'm going to do next i'm going to do the book of samuel i've i've done it um on both mondays and tuesdays in the past but i want to do it again I, I want to get it on podcast, and I just love it. That's part of why I want to do it. I just, it's just so, it's so wonderful to share it with others. The stories are good. They're important stories that people often don't know, and you get to meet these wonderful um, folks like Abigail. Yes. Abigail, one of yes. David's wives, and nobody knows the story of Abigail, and it's a great, great story. story. Yes. And so, well, so that's going to be on Tuesdays after I finish First Corinthians. Yep. 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 And when we were in Israel, we were at the place called Shiloh, although we found out they don't pronounce it Shiloh. Mm -mm. Shiloh. 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 Where um, Samuel's mom so desperately wanted to have a child that she promised God if she could conceive, she would name that child Samuel and would put him, um, dedicate him and to, to, to the Lord's work, to the yes. Lord's work, and First um, Samuel chapter one. Yep. So anyway, it's a great. Yeah. It is a great story. It and, is. And anyway, you'll remember a lot of parts of it as we go through Samuel. There are things that you have heard, right, over yes. your course. Some, some not. They're all yep, good. They're all good. Anyway, we will see you hopefully tomorrow, and if not, we'll look forward to seeing everybody back in person on Sunday. Would you please close with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so, so much 
for this group of people who come together every Monday. Lord, we are just so grateful that we get this opportunity again to study your word. And um, always, Lord, it's in a safe and I feel kind of protected environment where we can ask even the most difficult questions. Lord, please watch over this group this week. We pray, God, not only for ourselves, but for our friends and our family. We pray for this country, Lord, as tomorrow is a, a big day, election day. And we just, we just pray, God, that you would watch over our country and watch over our families, our friends, and ourselves, Lord. We pray that you would keep us well and keep us safe. And we pray, God, for your wisdom and your discernment to help us make the right choices, God, in our lives every day. We love you, Lord, and we are very, very grateful for all that you have done for us. We lift up these prayers today in the name of your risen Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Bye, Dios. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. See you soon.